The Space Case Sarah Show with space nerds Kobe and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello, space enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of the Space Case Sarah Show. I can talk. Space Case Sarah Show here on iRock Space Radio. Welcome back. Uh, We are on our 18th episode. We're adults. Oh my God, we grew up. Mazel tov. Not in America. Not in America, yeah. (laughs) Uh, we, um, of course I am joined by my, my co-hosts, the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, and we are very excited to present to you the, uh, remind me what element, uh, element argon. Argon. Don't say the element of surprise, but argon. (laughs) (laughs) We can do that too. The element of whatever it is that you choose for it to be argon which we have decided in theme of that is going to be like the slow science the slow because argon is slow let's jump right into it can someone enlighten me again because i have the memory of a goldfish why this is the slow episode and what we should know about argon so copy so the No, the reason that we are talking about slow science and lazy science science, uh, today um, (laughs) is that argon uh, comes from the uh, ancient Greek argos, which uh, was the name that was given, uh, sorry, argos means lazy or inactive, um, and that was the name that was given to argon because argon is inert, it's a noble gas, and it doesn't react it's non-reactive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty boring for an 18th birthday, sort of, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, pretty, yeah. pretty, yeah. I suppose, you know, in the United States, you can't drink at 18, but you can enlist in the military. So that, that lines up. But uh, <laughs> it all balances. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, what, what's something, I mean, what's something interesting we should know about argon other than it's a noble gas? I think I think what's really wild is that it took us so long to actually discover it. I mean, argon is relatively, uh, you know, quite abundant in the atmosphere. It makes up like one whole percent of our atmosphere. When we think of our atmosphere and our air, we always think of nitrogen and oxygen, right? But argon is mm-hmm. a full one percent of the air, um, and it's just that it was actually through that that we discovered it because basically. Um, I think uh, Henry Cavendish, uh, this you know, British 19th or 18th century, crap, I'm forgetting, uh, chemist, was distilling nitrogen, extracting nitrogen from air and then extracting uh, nitrogen from ammonia, I believe. And the density of what he was left with was different in both cases. And it was like, okay, there's some, there must be something extra here that I'm not seeing that's not reacting. And that was argon. Um and there's like no biological purpose for it. It doesn't like we don't use it in our bodies. We don't use it, you know, naturally. It's just there. 
So it's just, just chilling. It's useless and slow. Useless. Yes. <laughs> Call the useless science episode. <laughs> <laughs> useless science. Well, good to know that that is the reason why we are going to talk about useless science. And of course, we'll we'll tie as much space into this as possible. Benjamino, what uh, what have hath you brought us to the table to tonight, today, tomorrow, uh, whatever, today. whatever, wherever today. you are in the world. Today, <laughs> uh, this is our Argon episode, our 18th episode, which should, in theory, air December 17th. So, happy birthday to uh, Kavi, Australian <gasps> astronaut Andy Thomas. Uh, Andy, Andy, veteran of four <laughs> shuttle flights, he went to both the Mir and ISS space stations, and he's been in space for 177 days total. And wow. happy scientist birthday to Emily du Châtelet. Ooh. In the 1700s, Ooh. she was a French Ooh. mathematician and physicist. And because she was lucky that she was born into a wealthy family, uh, she was given an education, private tutors. And she even went so far as to dress up as a man, just so she can go into places where science was discussed. Take I like that, that. I men. Mean- I was I was already on board with her name Chatelet, but like Chatelet, Chatelet, but uh, that's even better. And and Kavi, are you and Andy on like a first name basis? You know, no, I've I've never met the guy. Um, <laughs> You're like Andy, but, but Australians are congenial. Uh, Andy, Australians they all know each other. Yeah, yeah it's Andy. a small it's a small made up country, so we all know mm-hmm. each other. Um, it, yes <laughs> it doesn't exist because you're on the other side of that flat earth and uh you're not real no it, you know speaking of it's a, it's a small it's a small world though i um have been working on this you know museum exhibit that is going to be premiering tomorrow and like one of the maintenance like janitor people are in there and he's talking and blah blah blah, blah. and then he drops um, he's like, oh, my son works for Geneva Lakes Astrophysics and STEAM, which is an organization that I volunteered for. And I like, I'm super close with them. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, my son's Adam. And I'm like, shut the front door. So if he's listening, hi, Adam. Uh, like, I cannot believe how small the world seems sometimes when you're just, he came in to like, help me like figure out where the, the, I don't know the the fuse box was and and then he's and then it's like this person that I know. So it is a small world. I wouldn't be surprised if you do know Andy. But did you find the fuse box? Uh, you know what? The fuse box, it was very difficult to find. It was in the kitchen. Who would have thought a fuse box Andy would be in the that. kitchen? Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. <laughs> it or was Adam, the fuse box was discovered. <laughs> I was thinking I, I was thinking Benjamin when you were mentioning how um De Chatelier was able to, you know, learn all these things. De Chatelier pronunciation. Uh, I know, right? Two years yeah. of French in school is not completely useless. Uh-huh. Okay, oh, go ahead. You're mostly useless. <laughs> <laughs> Omelette du fromage. Uh, yes, but, but but I feel like I feel like most of the science, like I mentioned before, Cavendish, and, and we spoke, you know, previous episodes about all of these chemists and physicists in the. Um, you know, 17th and uh, 18th centuries and 19th centuries. Generally speaking, they were people who came from very wealthy families because mm-hmm. that was like kind of the only way that you could have access. Firstly, you need to have like a knowledge of multiple languages because these textbooks were written not only in mm-hmm. English, but in French and Italian and in Latin. You know, in the case of Newton's uh, writings, like his uh, Principia, 
And then you need to also have the time to just sit around and read books and do experiments and think. And mm-hmm. I, I love how science nowadays has become something that's a lot more accessible. And you know, mm-hmm. part of, of uh, <laughs> Newton's uh, Principia, uh, Emily Du, however you pronounce it, Chatelet. She was Chateau, the first yeah. person. She, whatever. <laughs> she was the first one to uh, translate uh, Principia into French. There you go. That was her. That was her big contribution. So you are. But yeah, on the money. Well, what has she done yeah. for me lately? <laughs> no, you're 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 so spot on though, Kavi. I mean, not just for men uh, or women. Like not, you know, women obviously had even more of a disadvantage. But yeah, it was very much in in the past. It was for the elite to have a science education, and then before that, for even the ability to read and write. So I I honestly, it's it's amazing how much we've progressed as a species in such a mm-hmm. short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, your story of her also reminds me of Caroline Herschel, who was um, Herschel's sister. What is his first name? I just know him as Mr. Herschel. Mr. Wow. Herschel. But uh, she she was as prominent and very uh, good of an astronomer. Just she she preferred to stay behind the scenes. But so much of her brother's work she helped with and... Um, and that was because her family was very, they were like, yeah, we, we want to make sure that our kids have an education. And, um, and, and there's so many amazing stories like that through history uh, that it, you know, just, it's really cool. So, um, so in terms of, of our advancement, we're not very Argon like, we're not very slow, slow science when it comes to our discoveries, but, uh, <laughs> but so there lazy. are a lot of things in science that are very slow, very slow. I think because I'm working on this, this museum exhibit, which for our listeners who probably, you know, are the same consistent 10 people, what's up, um, the museum exhibit I'm working on is for the Joides Resolution, which is a <clears throat> ocean core drilling research ship. And so this is right in line with the slow science and like basically what that ship researches, which is uh, plate tectonic movements, which is incredibly, incredibly slow. <laughs> 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 so that's my contribution right now, right out of the out of the starting gate, because this is basically consuming my life at this point right now. Um, but how many centimeters? It's like centimeters per year. Freedom per eagle. Yeah, it's it's. I it's, actually know. Do you know which the fastest tectonic plate is currently? Oh, what? <laughs> I looked them which? up. I had to know which one was the fastest and which one was the, one the slowest. So the which fastest one? tectonic plate is the Pacific plate. Really? Which moves at a blistering ten centimeters a year. Oh. Whew. Watch and out. Slowest tectonic plate is the uh, North American plate, which some parts moves four centimeters a year, but in most of it, it moves one centimeter a year. Wow. So slow. <sighs> I remember Such the first time American. I heard about, you know, the, the, the fault line, the plate line um, in California, you know, basically is mm-hmm. moving in different directions, like right along mm-hmm. California. And then eventually like, Los Angeles and San Francisco are going to like pass by each other, but it like the, right. the amount of time it's going to take is <laughs> like, I don't even know if earth will be around anymore at that point, but you know, we'll, we'll, 
we can wave. You got a lot of time to prep your wave in passing for, oh, for just, those, just do some those plates to slide by each other. Just when that Hollywood Walk of Fame finally gets too crowded along slides yeah, and you just fill it up some more. It, it's really cool uh, to think about the massive amount of time scale that that Earth's history has, though, because we all know about uh, Pangea, right? That's that's the big, everyone knows Pangea, but there were actually other massive supercontinents before Pangea, and that was just the the one of the, the biggest and the most famous versions, but there was another one before that. There's so mm. much Earth history that sometimes it's, it's like, I feel like a bad science communicator, but you can't remember everything. There's so many, like, epochs and, you know, like... <laughs> Like time is so huge. You know, it's wild is to think that solar eclipses, total solar eclipses are probably happening all the damn time. Mm -hmm. Because think, think about it. The moon now is drifting away from the earth, right? It's drifting yeah. away at I think like three or maybe four centimeters each year. Yes. Tiny, so eventually, tiny amount, yeah. Right. So like the whole, the whole reason that, you know, we can see a solar, a total solar eclipse perfectly is that the moon is 300 times smaller, but also 300 times large uh sorry 300 times smaller but 300 times closer to earth than the sun is and so as it drifts further away it'll appear smaller in the sky so it'll cover less of the sun but back in the day which was a tuesday um it used to be a lot bigger <laughs> as it was closer it would sure. appear it would <laughs> it would appear it all the time appear a lot bigger yeah like yeah. every time that every, every time you have like there were no there wouldn't really be partial solar eclipses like everyone would be a full on total eclipse and it would just be like oh <laughs> and the moon. and the single celled organisms alive at that time were like oh my god oh we're fine <laughs> 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 All right, we're going to take our first here break we go again <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take our first break um this is the Space Case Sarah show you are either listening to on on iRock Space Radio, or you might be catching this episode after the fact on our website, which is super exciting. But either way, you can listen to episodes on our website, iRockSpaceRadio.com. You can follow all of us on social media. I'm Space Case Sarah. We got Kavi of Fun Fact Science and Benjamin of Science Actually or Actually Science, depending on the platform. They're both crouching over their computers, waiting to play the game that we have been playing since the beginning of starting this show, which is who gets back to the green room first. So they're like, Team oh, Benjamin, he's chomping at the bit. I gotta hit stop and then new recording. Calm, <laughs> pipe down, pipe down. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, you still can go to our website and sign up for a crew club and get a free T-shirt. So make sure you go do that. We have a merch shop to get some hats, and uh, there's other shows. So go check them out. Okay, all right. God, you guys are making me feel like a woo woo. These guys are excited. We're the Space Case Air Show. We're going to take a quick break and return with the Argon episode here on IROC Space Radio. Oh my gosh, this is like, it's a, a lot of pressure right now. Pachoo! Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Space Case Air Show. By the skin of his teeth, Benjamin has returned back into the recording studio. Um, Kavi is probably saying, uh it's rigged <laughs> it's rigged it's he has rigged. 18 wins conveniently eight, for our 18th 18 episode 18 wins for the i wanted to say it's gonna make it sound all bad and everything but i'm, I'm gonna take that win no no, no go for it <laughs> <laughs> 
as as he uh, he sits there and, and sulks. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Argon episode. I, I, every time I say Argon, I think Aragorn, like Lord of the Rings, Aragorn. You know, like I've so quickly want to slip into saying Aragorn or Aragorn or I don't know. I, I'd almost get confused which is the right one at this point. But this element, as I have been informed, is um, a noble gas. It's in our atmosphere and it's useless. So we thought this would be a fun episode. Oh, is it not completely useless? I mean, I mean, it has, it has uses. It. it has uses, just like not not so much in nature, but it, it like has not uses. Biologically. Right. Yeah, like there are certain industrial uses, so you can you know, perform, uh, you know, welding in a in a, an environment that's like filled with just a pure atmosphere of of argon, so that you know the metal doesn't oxidize because it's not yeah. going to react. Um, but I was <laughs> I was just thinking about what you said about it, it being a noble gas, and it reminded me, you know, we said we're doing lazy science and slow science today. Um, it reminded me of a science experiment that was very, very slow and won not a Nobel Prize, but an Ig Nobel Prize. A what prize? An Ig Nobel Prize. Ig Nobel <gasps> Prize. What Ig is that? Ig Nobel. Oh, ooh, ah, okay. So Ig Nobel Prize is basically, um, it's like a parody of the Nobel Prize, but it's not like, it's not just like nonsense. It's real science that just happens to be like super entertaining or hilarious um so like there was an ig nobel prize Stop for this it. study yeah it's really cool and they have this big ceremony every year where they throw paper planes and stuff it's hilarious like th I love there was this. one <laughs> there was one ig nobel prize where i think somebody discovered that there's like a particular smelly cheese that's really good at warding off mosquitoes and that's like been tested now as a, a preventative measure against malaria oh my God. like Ig really, Nobel. really cool. Ignoble. Oh, I, oh God. Okay, first pigeons wearing cameras, cameras. in World War One. Yeah. Now we got Ig Nobel prizes. My God. Okay, continue. <laughs> so while you look that up, the the specific experiment, slow experiment um, that I was thinking of was the pitch drop experiment. Okay. okay. So this was an experiment that was started in the late 20s, I think. Um, and basically they took a really, really viscous um, material pitch, like uh, the stuff that they make roads out of, like tar. Yeah. And they had a jar of it with like a funnel and they were like, you know, seeing how long it would take for a single droplet to form and then drop. Hence the name pitch drop experiment. Mm -hmm. This experiment has been going on since 1927, and it has what? not finished. The original scientist who started it died. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my god! There is a live stream, like every like ten, somewhere I don't know, but ten, to 10 15, years. Like, ten years. Okay, yep. every ten years, roughly, another drop forms and drops. Right. <laughs> wow. Slow. Slow science. Okay, I, for the record, for the listeners, I just looked up the Wikipedia article on the Ig Nobel Prize, and the first one right here, right at the top, is catching my eye because, um, yeah, like this person actually was awarded a real Nobel Prize, but they also won won this Ig Nobel Prize 
for the magnetic levitation of a live frog. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. This is the best and like most, this is like memes and GIFs and cat videos all wrapped up into one mixed with science. Like this is phenomenal. <sighs> I want to go to this. I want to attend the Ig Nobel award ceremony. Absolutely. This sounds amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, gosh. The award like, this year was in physics was uh, trying to understand how ducks swim in formation. These are things we need to know. These are I things that we is, need to these know. These are things we need to know. Science. This yes. is science for, I don't even know what you categorize that as. Uh, science for, why not? Right? Like, science for, I mean, eh. I like, I've, I've just opened the Wikipedia page as well. Like, the first thing that caught my eye, obviously, because I'm a, I'm a sick, sick man, is that apparently <laughs> one of the Ig Nobel Prizes went to somebody who proved that ostriches are turned on by humans. Oh my God. Okay. All right. This is not slow science. This is amazing. But like, this is like, we need, this is amazing. Okay. Slow science though. We talked about plate tectonics. That's kind of an obvious, very, very slow growth. Um, there is a type of, what is it? A, a fungi, a bacteria, something like this. It's not necessarily slow science, but um, it's like replication is eternal. Like basically it can't, die do you know what i'm talking about there is a there is something that it just um is it bacteria i gotta google this now but there is something that um i i i learned about it in a show i believe it was blue planet so that's why i'm thinking it might be maybe a jellyfish maybe a species of jellyfish i don't remember something very simple and it can just continuously regenerate itself to the point where as far as we can tell, it's like eternal. Like maybe it can die. Um, I will have to do some Googling to figure out what exactly that animal is. But in terms of slow science, slow life, uh, <laughs> there is a jellyfish that is uh, eternal. Yes. Uh, what's not the word eternal? But you know what I mean. It's this biologically forever. immortal. 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 That's the yes. So it can it, it can um get sick turn and back die. time by reverting and die. But provided that it's pretty much left alone, it'll just keep going and going and going. Yeah, it'll just it, it can go back to an early. So, I mean, jellyfish don't have brains. They don't really have a. Uh, you know, cognitive conscious level of thought, but what a, what a wild concept to think that if you say you discovered this animal, knowing that that's the same one that maybe was chilling with some, you know, prehistoric dinosaur S kind of things like that. You want to talk about maybe not slow or lazy science, but that's, that's kind of ancient, eternal, very cool kind of science. Um, Why would there more, ancient civilizations that had jellyfish as gods that's what i want to know what wonder though civilizations how would they have known oh why oh why shouldn't they i was like i don't know any civilizations that didn't yeah why weren't there these these eternal immortal beings well they i'm they i'm sure they they know they're immortal beings or they just yeah beings in the ocean 
I'm sure Ma- that they didn't Atlanteans, know. You're right. Maybe the Atlanteans had. Uh, the Atlanteans mm. knew the, and the Atlanteans. still do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, other examples of slow science. Um, there's a really fantastic YouTube channel that basically they do all these very, very hypothetical. I will give you that. Uh, like different science. I'm going to loosely say um, analysis of things. So like, for example, they do, I think I've mentioned it on the show before they do the evolution of life and what it would be like. So they have one that is also on how will the universe die? Hmm. It's terrifying because it's about like 20 minutes long. And in the first five minutes, earth is gone. And you're like, Oh crap, this is going to take a while. (laughs) 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 And, uh, um, And it's so funny that, um, they basically follow energy all the way to the, they're following the model that basically everything will just slow down and eventually it'll get so, so cold. It will freeze. The big but freeze. It's just, it's whole, oh, it gets like almost existentially distressing because you, you have, you know, they're talking about there's a sky full of stars, but eventually all the stars are going to run out of their, of their, their energy. And then they'll all expand and then go down and then, you know, there's these little last glimmers of life. And then they do this really, like, really dystopian, like, and here's how, like, maybe whatever is left alive might be able to survive. And you're like, it, like, the more you watch it, the more you're like, life is meaningless. Um, But it's, it's fantastic. But just even in that little snippet of like, I'm saying 20 minutes, it's it even watching it, you're like, wow, the amount of time it will take, even for our own star to expand mm-hmm and eventually swallow up all the rocky planets. I mean, I don't, who knows what, if we'll even be there at that point, that is so far in, in the future. And yet, and yet in the cosmic grand scheme, it be but a blip. We be but oh gosh. just a, a tiny little blip of existence. And so if you want to talk about the most ultimate slow science, and this was one of the first things that really made me fall in love with the cosmos and, and cosmology was seeing the cosmic calendar and seeing when humans showed up on the cosmic calendar, which is the midnight hour, 59 minutes, like 45 seconds or something like that. You know, like that's that's what I'm working on right now for uh, science actually. I'm trying to work on a series of cosmic calendar posts that'll go up precisely at the time that these milestones are. Oh, nice. So it'll be a post that'll happen January 1st. Then there's going to be nothing. Right. A long couple months. And then there's going to be nothing for a couple more months. Then there's going to be a few in the fall. And then there's going to be like a thousand posts that are going to happen the last minute of the cosmic calendar <laughs> agriculture language blah 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 boom 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 right and as the planets form you can like weave in your trip advisor um <laughs> <laughs> reviews of the different planets <laughs> uh what what's the name of the the planet that supposedly um i say supposedly but we're fairly certain that we crashed into uh to make the moon what, what did they call that vega what? No, Vegas. Vegas a star. Vegas oh, a star. Maybe a star. Uh, I see. Obviously, I can't think. But so, but like, I'm just saying, you could include that one and be like, zero out of zero. Don't visit. Will 
crash into earth not you know probably don't be on earth either at that point but yeah <laughs> speaking of astronomy as you as you were describing uh you know that video as being uh existentially distressing i made a quick meme and sent it to the group and that because that, that sentence basically just describes like pretty much the entire field because <laughs> when you think about it like most of the work that we end up doing is studying things that are either going to happen billions of years from now when we're all dead and gone mm-hmm. or things that are happening so far away that they've probably already ceased to exist. Right. Existentially distressing. Existentially distressing. Yeah. I think that that is, you know, maybe not the way Carl would have said it. I believe he said it was, um, is a, a humbling and noble Thing. but i mean existentially distressing i feel like i'm yeah. right on i'm right on par with him right there it's like the ignoble version <laughs> <laughs> yes okay we're gonna i'm gonna wrap up this segment we're gonna take a break uh but i mean there isn't any slower lazy science than you know the cosmic calendar time itself it's it's slow oh, oh but benjamin has one so let's save it for the next segment um Again, you're listening to the Space Case Sarah Show. You're listening on some shape or form here on iRock Space Radio. And uh, they are gearing up with their, their, like, can I hear some knuckles cracking at this point? Like, Jesus, guys, like, oh, God, don't actually do it. Um, (laughs) They're ready to play their game of who returns to the green room. I'm going to try to hit record as we get back as soon as possible so they can hear the real reaction. Because I usually... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don't care. Okay, stop. Uh, that's, that's probably not so good stuff. <laughs> okay, you're listening to the Space Case Sarah Show here on IROC Space Radio. Benjamin, or it was coffee. I think it was coffee that time. Yes. It was very close. Well, it was very close. Congratulations, Coffee, and enjoy your win. Oh, Thank you. Uh, I know it means a lot. <laughs> Space Case Sarah show where we take returning to the recording room very seriously, except I don't because I'm the one in charge of setting it up. But <laughs> for the other two, my space nerds, Coffee and Benjamin, this is this is serious stuff. This I mean, reputations are on the line. And returning back to the green or from the green room to the recording studio is the stuff of legend, legend, epic quest. Yes. (laughs) You're listening to the Argon, which we are calling the slow, lazy, slow science uh, episode, just because Argon is a noble gas, so it's not very reactive. And it really, I mean, biologically, it doesn't really do much. It's not, I mean, it's just there. It exists. So, it exists. It's there. Yep. Um, so we talked about plate tectonics, which obviously move very slow. We talked about the massive amount of time, the time scale of the universe. Um, Benjamin had a, a he was he was kind of chomping at the bit. He has another. What is what is very slow science, Benjamin? That you would like Speaking to share of noble gases and mm-hmm. slowness, uh, the half-life of an isotope of xenon, xenon-124, mm-hmm. measured to be trillions times longer than the current age of the universe. Uh, 
when the universe does end, <laughs> it'll be when the last Xeno and I assume breaks down. No, I'm sure other things it's gonna happen. <laughs> um, uh, 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 uh. It's an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly slow process of decay, the slowest known. And wow. Yes. Wow. Older than the universe, so don't, don't ask whole. me how to... How, the universe like, dying as a whole technically is the slowest thing because it's the, it's the everything. But the slowest thing in that universe is the decaying of this one isotope of xenon. Interesting. Thank you. Lazy xenon. Ra- Lazy xenon. Another noble well, gas, which we'll get to... <laughs> I don't know, many, yes. many, 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 many episodes from now. I mean, should, we, should, should we explain what noble gases are? Have we discussed that? I don't think so. Um, I mean, and I was actually thinking when he said isotope, I was like, who? Oh, you know, that's yeah. that's a big that's a big concept to explain to you. So we'll maybe <laughs> but let's do noble gases. Let's start with noble gases to listeners. So, what is a noble gas? I mean, to me, I'm like, well, yeah, that's with the, like little crowns on them. That's that's that yeah. one side of the periodic table. They all line up. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we'll we'll leave the uh, ignoble gases to after this segment. But um, noble <laughs> gases are basically, um, like you were saying, Sarah, on one side of the periodic table, and the periodic table from left to right is basically telling you in each atom how many electrons are there in their outermost orbit, right? So right. on the far left they all have uh, less and on the far right they all have more oh, one. and one to seven. The, yes yes and uh well it's actually eight on the outside of the noble gases so the outermost layer has an octet it has a full right. eight electrons and that means that it's in a stable configuration so it otherwise if you have two atoms and they have you know not a full octet of eight electrons it means that they will want to do things they'll want to either give an electron away um and become ionized or they will want to pull electrons from uh, either free electrons or from other atoms and form bonds with them to get to the stable energetically uh, stable state uh, of an octet and so the noble gases are already in that state they already have all eight electrons to fill their outer layer, which is why they're called noble, because they don't react. (laughs) And they have that accent, all of them. They They don't need anything. Yeah. Uh, They're, um, they're on, they're all on the right. Correct. Mm -hmm. For some reason, my brain is just like, yeah, because they have eight. Um, Yes. Um, And that's why the one and the seven those are the most like they're they are they crave the most to get either that one goes up to the seven or the seven loses one like they like they they're very unstable and they Mm -hmm. really want like they want to get to that point um otherwise known as pick me adams (laughs) so um the noble gases i mean the whole entire periodic table again when we were talking earlier about how much how kind of the opposite of slow science we're talking about the figuring out of our atoms in the periodic table and stuff like that was like prime enlightenment time which is not that long ago which is so cool how much of our understanding of our natural world has happened over i see you guys you're snickering i can't i can't look and talk at the same time okay you guys need to just just cool it 
cool it. They're yeah, sending back and forth in their chat, and I, I can't look and talk at the same time. It's like, it's like we're passing notes in class. Uh, yeah, you are. Exactly. <laughs> the um, the 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 thing that I guess, relatively speaking, yes, in the cosmic scale, that is very quick is our existence and our understanding of things and stuff. Um, but I would say if we had to kind of break it down back to a, a, a micro scale instead of the macro scale, um, evolution is extremely slow. It's mm -hmm. a very, very slow process in science. Um, that adaptation to survive to the environment can sometimes be, it can be rapid, but then there's also many cases where it's very, very, very slow. Um, and I'm a big fan of evolution. Mm -hmm. I enjoy, I enjoy learning about all the different weird things that are, are a part of us that it's like, there's literally zero sense why that should be functionality within us. But because from a, a very long time ago, that was something that was necessary and now it's not, that makes sense. And so evolution was my, my little chip into the coin, coin drop into the fountain of this conversation right now, I guess. <laughs> um, what else is really good slow science, though? I mean, when you talk about like radioactive decay and stuff like that, that's also just, you know, you were, you were bringing up isotopes and things. Um, there's a lot I mean, of for, a lot of things that break for, down very slowly. For, for me, like what's really interesting and also extremely annoying is that as an astrophysicist, you're used to studying different classes of objects, right? So you have planet and a star and um you know neutron stars and all these things and for the few things that are actually connected meaning they evolve one thing into another that evolution takes so damn long that that if you if you see the act of it transitioning from one to the other like that's super rare right yeah. so so like stars um massive stars that have more than eight times the mass of the sun, um, when they explode as a supernova at the end of their lives, it's like, okay, cool. Like we've managed to catch a supernova. And then there are these things called supernova remnants, which are like the crab nebula, right? So it's this giant cloud of ionized gas and dust that's expanding outwards from what used to be a supernova. Um, and there's a little neutron star in the middle going meh, 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 just kind of like pulsating in the middle. <laughs> That's the sound it makes, I've checked. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's like the, the time to go from being a supernova to like the remnant of a supernova is tens of thousands of years. So it's like, okay, cool. Now let's just wait for the supernova to become a supernova remnant and discover the neutron star that was left behind. It's like, no, That's you'll be That's waiting a very long time forever forever <laughs> yeah it it it's that's where when carl says astronomy is a very humbling um a humbling thing to study that's what he means by that where it's it's humbling to acknowledge your finite very tiny point in time and space and the light that we can observe just right now in this time and this space and some of that light took eons to get to us and and this is this is all you have though to be able to observe it even though it it's been going for a while and uh that's where he's saying it's humbling i call it a crisis but you know whatever yeah, he <laughs> and i have different word choices <laughs> i'm just saying carl carl maybe was a little bit better at it than me 
Um, yeah, uh, I guess, you know, the common thread to all this is time. Time Mm -hmm. is sort of the ultimate beat that marches forward that has gone on. It's, it's just forever in the past. It's going to go on forever, not forever, but you know, a very, very long time into the future. And time is the slowest passage of anything. Unless I want it to be annoying. You could be annoying. I mean, unless you're, you know, let's let's throw some Einstein in here. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, time doesn't go infinitely backwards because time is part of space time, right? Time, right, but, time moves forward. Go ahead. Time but moves it, forward. I was gonna say because time, we time can't. That's the one thing you can't do. You can't go backwards in time. Well, I mean, there's. <sighs> It depends what you mean by by backwards, but when when you talk about like the existence of time, if you go far enough back to the Big Bang, time didn't exist before then. I mean, not in any way. As that, far as we can we, see or understand, yes. In terms of no, but in terms of theoretically, so like there is this <clears throat> oh, there's this okay. really famous there's a there's a pretty famous paper from George Lamartre who was this. I think Belgian priest, right, was saying before that all of the scientists uh, back in the day were, you know, mostly rich white dudes, but some of them were also uh, poor white priests. And um, they... <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good second option, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Isaac Newton was a bit of both. But um, but yeah, so so what he had written in this, in this paper in, I think, the 1930s was the idea that when you look at the formation of space-time, of our universe it's something that happens within something else so space-time is expanding within something else and there is um a place i don't want to say place because place is the wrong word but there is a something in which universes are created and expand and some it's kind of like it's kind of like the the bubbles of sea foam at the beach like a bunch of uh, foam forms and like some of the bubbles expand and then pop and some of them are smaller and don't really expand so much or pop earlier. And so each of those bubbles is like a universe, right? And this is more or less a fundamental, our fundamental understanding of cosmology of the formation of universes. And so that bubble expanding isn't just space physically, it's space time. So have I have I gone too far? Are we no? I'm hole? just saying no. Well, now it's going to get all kinds of uh, the thing <laughs> existential. That, that, like oh, just existentially me. distressing. Just but there's it begs a question: What came before, and how long before that? Did that What's a chicken, sir? <laughs> well, See? and it, I it just they didn't have eagles for like, freedom then. <laughs> I can hardly. Uh, ask me how to explain to someone how to tie a shoe and I can kind of maybe give you some verbal walkthrough of that. But then these people, when like there's no electricity and, and like the wheel was just invented maybe a couple of millennia ago are like, Oh, let me think about our existence in the universe and the, did I yawn? I didn't, I I'm sorry if I yawn, I didn't mean to yawn. Um, I also get up at 5am every day, you guys. Um, no, it's just, (laughs) I just can't believe that people came up with these concepts at those times. And I mean, like, 
Newton, right, he was avoiding a plague. He was probably bored out of his mind. Oh, and... Isaac Newton, not my dog. Right, sorry. No. Right. <laughs> Your dog is probably avoiding a plague too, but yeah, there I can see some of these people that you're like, well, yeah, he probably, you know, he was well-to-do and he was bored out of his mind and and came up with these things. But like seriously, it how if it was up to me, we would still be using horses. Like I I just it just blows my mind how much <laughs> advancement we've had, especially during these times where it's like, wow, I don't know. I don't know. Pretty well. Existential it took us, it took us crisis mode years. is yeah 20,000 years to get to get from like you know discovery of fire to fire i was gonna say it's because our and then from a plane to space is like 60 years Mm -hmm. okay i just this is i'm having problems right now this was supposed to be the slow episode and but you know what i had an interesting (laughs) conversation with someone today um we were talking about how now we have all this modern technology and how kind of in human history, we have these ebbs and these flows of like rapid development. And then it kind of stagnates out for a while and then rapid development, you know, and you see it through different civilizations and societies, they rise, they fall. Um, and he was saying, you know, think about right now, how disconnected to the food chain humans are, how very, I mean, I, I we no longer admit, a part of it. Right. You, if I asked my children where their food came from, they know where plants and stuff come from. But if I was like, you know, how, how did this chicken on your plate get here? They would, there'd be a lot of explaining to do. Um, <laughs> but just a couple of generations ago that the kids would be like, yeah, grandpa went out there and chopped the head off and then grandma plucked the feathers, you know, like it, it was totally different. And so um, it's, it's interesting that we have also this kind of natural regression that slows things down in our understanding because we have these peak advancements and then it goes down. And so like space and space industry is a prime example of this where people have no idea. <laughs> Copy just sneezed so hard. He disappeared in this whole camera <laughs> check. Um, <laughs> I fell off my chair. <laughs> um, you're saying we had planes and now we have space in a matter of 60 years, but now you have people that are going well, why does space matter? Why should we be wasting our money on space? That's how common space is now. But like, think of that, that progression. It's, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild concept. Again, I think I'm really in an existential crisis mode now. (laughs) (laughs) And we're getting to our time here. Existentially distressing. (laughs) Existentially distressing. Have we put you into a crisis? No. Well, Go sit in a room with Kavi for a while. He'll get you there. Um, sneeze you off your <laughs> Gentlemen, do you have any final thoughts? Because we're going to wrap this up. Benji, or, uh, Kavi has a firm two-minute cutoff, so we got to wrap it up in two minutes. So, any final thoughts? No. This is uh, one of those episodes <laughs> that makes me want to stop for a minute and just think about everything dying. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why are we here? Why are we here for this little blip of nothing when everything's going to last forever and then die? Whether we are created with design or randomly or as part of a simulation, we are a part of the universe that's trying to understand itself. 
and Very that true. is wild it is a cool it is a very cool part of being alive agreed okay we are the space case air show we're gonna wrap this up please make sure you go to irockspaceradio.com listen to other shows sign up for the crew club follow us on social media i'm space case sarah we have fun fact science and science actually actually science depending on the platform you're on and as always we are so appreciative of you listening to this show we'll be back next week we got to think of some sort of fun end of the year thing so we'll brainstorm that and uh yeah Join back in next week. <laughs> and who knows what nonsense we're going to spew. This has been the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, here on iRock Space Radio. You've been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockSpaceRadio.com for more.